Welcome to The Cutting Floor, a weekly podcast of West Cannon Baptist Church. Each week we'll be looking at topics and questions coming from the Sunday morning sermon passage that didn't make it into the sermon or were worth looking at further. In other words, what was left on the cutting floor. I'm Emily and with me is Pastor Zach. This week your sermon covered Genesis 4 verses 1 through 26. You briefly mentioned Cain's genealogy in your sermon. Could you provide any additional insight on that now? I think there's a few things that are interesting about Cain's genealogy that are worth a little bit of a a brief further comment. Uh, You remember that when God curses Cain, he condemns Cain to wander. But then when we get to Cain's genealogy there in verse 17 of chapter 4, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So a couple of quick things there. Number one, Cain is supposed to be a wanderer, but he's already, again, rebelling against God. He's building a city. So instead of living for the rest of his life as a nomadic wanderer, he's trying to establish a place that he can call his own and and ground himself in a particular place. So he's he's already disobeying and rebelling against God. But then he he builds this city and he names it after his son Enoch. And that establishes this pattern that develops throughout the rest of the book of Genesis of the relationship between God and the cities that man builds. And uh, Augustine picks up on this, the city of man versus the city of God theme that he develops in his work. But throughout the book of Genesis, we have this city. The next city that really becomes prominent is in chapter 11, which is, of course, the city of, of Babel, where they're building the Tower of Babel. And it's interesting there, the men say, we will make a name for ourselves. But this first city that Cain's son, that he builds for his son Enoch, he names after his son Enoch. So he's trying to make a name for himself, for his family line. And uh, and then later in Genesis 34, there's this city uh, from which this man Shechem comes out and he uh, exploits Uh, the daughter of Jacob. And so the sons of Jacob, they come in and they destroy basically the men of the city because of the wickedness of the city. We, of course, also have in between that the issue of Sodom and Gomorrah. So all throughout Genesis, we've got these incidents involving the city of man and the rampant wickedness in the city, the fact that cities arise and, and hate God. So that's a theme that begins to develop throughout Genesis, this idea of the city of man versus city of God. Another interesting thing about Cain's genealogy, if if you get all the way down to the end, you get to Lamech. We talked about him quite a bit in the sermon on Sunday, but he has a number of sons. Um, Ada, one of his wives, bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He is the father of all those who play the lyre in the pipe. Zillah, another one of Lamech's wives, also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And so from Cain's line come all of these various facets of culture. You have industry and commerce. You have the arts and music. And you also have technology in the form of bronze and ironwork that are happening here. And that's really unexpected. You'd think that that would come from the promise line, from Seth's line, but instead we see that coming in the cursed line, Cain's line. I think that tells us two things. Number one, God's common grace extends to all people. Um, This is the principle that God causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And so he never leaves the wicked to their own devices as as bad as as they could be. He, He 
leaves within them the remnants of his image in them so that they are able to practice creativity and culture in, the, in these kinds of things that we are designed to. And in his grace, he will even redeem parts of this line of Cain so that we'll see later uh, after the flood and during the time when Israel is back in the land there will be metal workers and those who are skilled in the arts who are able to design the tabernacle. So God brings unification of these family lines because he is a God who gives grace. But the other thing I want to just mention in, in relation to this idea that Cain's line is the line of the cultural elites and the cultural drivers. Another theme that develops in the book of Genesis and really throughout all of scripture is that God frequently chooses the weak things, the things that we would not expect and the places that we would expect, the places or the people of strength, he doesn't choose those things. And so we might look at Cain's line and think, wow, that's the line that has all the cultural advantages. They're the elites. But God doesn't choose them. Just like uh, he eventually will choose uh, this young boy who is not the oldest among his brothers. In fact, he's the youngest, he's the smallest, he's the weakest, and he'll delight in choosing him to be king over Israel. Paul will reflect on this later and he'll say that God delights in choosing the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So as we often look around us and we think that all of the cultural elites in our society, that they they, they don't seem to love God, in fact, they often hate God, all the places of culture and power in our world, that they reject God and his people— we should remember that, that God doesn't need the great strong things in this world to accomplish his purposes. In fact, he often delights in using the weak things in order to greater reveal his glory. Where did Cain's wife come from? Did he just end up marrying his sister? Yeah, so as we read through the narrative, uh, Cain and Abel obviously happens. Abel is killed, and then Cain is cast away from his family. And then we get to verse 17, and we read that Cain knew had his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And the question is, where, where did she come from? She's not introduced uh, in the story previous to this. And what we learn later is that Adam and Eve have multiple daughters and sons. So Cain and Abel, and later Seth, are not the only children uh, that Adam and Eve end up happening. And as is the course of events in early human history, there aren't any other lines of family to choose from. And so uh, in the early days of the earth, it was common practice for there to be close family marriage. In fact, later we're going to see that that uh, many of the patriarchs are closely related uh, to the wives that they select from themselves from among their own people. And so uh, in the early days also, uh, after the fall, we see that the long life expectancies of people living uh, prior to the events of the flood particularly help us to see that the effects of the fall work their way slowly into creation. And so I think in God's providence and in his grace toward humankind, um, there's enough genetic diversity in these, this early family that even marrying a close relation doesn't cause the kinds of genetic effects that we see operative in the world today. Now, this pattern is later, for some of those reasons, explicitly rejected as an ongoing paradigm. So we'll read when God gives the law that it is a shameful thing for people to marry their close relations. Uh, but in the early days, when there was no other options available, this was an acceptable practice uh, for, the, for the early people. Cain tells God that he is afraid that others will find him and kill him. Who is Cain afraid of? Are there other people in the land um, that just haven't been mentioned yet? Yeah, this that very issue has caused some people to speculate that perhaps God chose Adam and Eve particularly out of many people that were living, and he placed them in the garden, and the creation story is kind of a myth, and it's not uh, exact in all of 
all of its particular details. Others have argued that you know maybe Adam and Eve, if you believe in the principles of evolution, uh, or theistic evolution even, uh, that they were evolved from various lower uh, life forms and that over time these other life forms further developed and so other homo sapiens developed and these were the other peoples that were living uh, around this time that Cain was afraid of. But I think as we look at the text, none of those explanations are in fact necessary. I think a simple way of reading this is that Cain is afraid of what his own family will do to him because he killed his own brother. And Cain has reason to think this because he himself is a brother killer. So if it wasn't above him to kill his own brother in his own corrupted mind, he would expect that this kind of hateful vengeance would be what other people would want to do to him. And it's as we look at the events that transpire later, people are living for seven, eight, nine hundred years. And so Adam and Eve are going to have more children, as we'll see. They're going to have children. And if Cain is living anywhere proximate to the length of time that these other people are living, there are going to be generations worth of Avengers that can be coming after him and pursuing him. And so from just a, a realistic standpoint of evaluating the text, Cain has a very realistic fear that either his immediate family or those who will come from his family will eventually hunt him down unless he has some kind of divine protection. So in order to protect him, God puts the mark on Cain. Do we know what this mark looked like or if it was visible? I've been kind of dreading this question because it's a way of exposing my own ignorance here. The, the simple truth is that I don't know the answer. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us any clarity about what this mark is. All that we know is it was sufficient to ensure uh, that no human was going to commit an act of violence against Cain, that God had established a mark of his own divine protection that effectively insulated Cain from the threat of retributive justice from the rest of his family. If you have any questions from the sermon or the sermon passage that you would like to have answered on the podcast, please email them by 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning to questions at westcanon.org. We'll see you next week.